Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Christians across the U.S. are rising up and banking with their values, and they are banking with Christian Community Credit Union. A trusted institution for over 65 years, Christian Community Credit Union is America's leader in biblical banking solutions. With low-cost auto loans, mortgages, personal loans, as well as products to help grow your money that include high-interest checking, savings, CDs, and so much more. The money you entrust with Christian Community Credit Union enables them to provide affordable financing to help churches and ministries grow. And with their new Cash Rewards Visa card, earn cash back while supporting Christian charities. It's time to bank with your values. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Learn more at mycccu.com slash c-suite. That's mycccu.com slash c-suite membership eligibility required join other christian executives in running your business based on christian values to learn more visit the nehgroups.com Well, hey there. Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast. I am your host, Paul M. Newberger, the founder of the C-Suite for Christ ministry. And boy, howdy, it is a blessing to have you here today. As I say at about the start of just about every single program, we know you're not hurting for podcast options. Man, it seems like everybody and their Gam Gam, yes, I call her Gam Gam, so back off, has a podcast. There's just a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of confusion out there. I'm not saying that these are bad podcasts because many of them are are really, really good. It's just that you're pulled in so many different directions. So the fact that you chose us means a lot. And I promise that we're going to be a good steward of your time here today. Our guest is going to be Jennifer Schilke. Jennifer is the CEO of Summit Group Solutions. Jennifer, just like everybody else on this program, is an official member of the C-Suite for Christ ministry, but she has just jumped in with both feet. She is at our gathering. She is making her presence felt, and she's blessing a lot of people. And I'm very confident that she's going to be blessing you shortly as well when she comes up here on the second portion of today's program. One thing I just want to put on your radar here in terms of uh, some new information. Again, our ministry is just growing by leaps and bounds, and it's not just you know how many followers do we have on social media, although if you're not following us on LinkedIn, the heck you're waiting for just go on LinkedIn and do a quick search. See Sweet for Christ. We're also on Facebook. Follow us there. We're also on YouTube. And our YouTube channel has tens of thousands. I'm not even exaggerating. Tens of thousands 
of hours of original content. So feel free to subscribe to that too. But uh, there's just a lot of things going on within the ministry. Sure, we're growing, we're adding members, we're planting chapters, all that stuff is really, really wonderful. But I'll tell you, now this is, I, I use air quotes. I know you can't see me. I do have a face for podcasting after all, but uh, yeah, I am doing the air quotes here. This is a problem that we're facing with the C-Suite for Christ ministry. So hear me out here just real quick, and then we'll get on with the show. But as of right now, as of the recording of this podcast, we have 15 official chapters all over the world. That number is going to grow to about 18 or 19 within the next month. Praise God. It's been pretty amazing. Uh, we should be close to 30 by the time we get to mid Q1 of 2024. Well, the, the quote unquote problem is that's a lot of speakers that we need because at a minimum, every single chapter needs 12 speakers. I'm not very good at mental math, so I'm going to pull up my computer calculator here. But again, if we have 15 chapters right now and a minimum of 12 speakers, one for each monthly gathering, you're looking at 180 speakers. We need 180 high quality men and women who were on fire for Jesus Christ to, to give a presentation and give a keynote speech to our group of Christian business executives. That's a lot of people. But I said, we've got some pretty big growth plans here. And uh, I do believe we're going to be at about 30 chapters all over the world by the time we get to mid-Q1. So you multiply that by 12, that's 360. Where the heck are we going to find 360 high-quality speakers, 360 talented men and women, 360 people who were on fire for Jesus Christ, who are bold and unapologetic in that vein, and who want to stand before these thousands of Christian business executive members that we have and talk to them using Christ-centric content? It's a tall order. So one of the things that we've launched recently is the C-Suite for Christ Speakers Bureau, if you're on fire for Jesus Christ, if you are a talented speaker, you do not have to be a professional speaker necessarily, just somebody that's got talent in this regard, and you think you have some Christ-centric content that could benefit the thousands and thousands and thousands of executives associated with us, boy, howdy, I want to hear from you because we need you. The demand for speakers far outweighs the supply, and we're looking to change that starting in early 2024. So if you are somebody that wants to join the C-Suite for Christ Speakers Bureau and be an option for our chapter presidents, be an option for the executives that belong to us, go to our website, csuiteforchrist.com, and then under the membership tab, you're going to see a page that says Speakers Bureau. Maybe you're not a speaker. It is the number one phobia of people all over the world. But if you know somebody who is, maybe your pastor, maybe you attended a conference or you attended a seminar or somebody in your family or a close associate is traveling the world, giving speeches or is just really, really good at sharing content in that capacity. Put this on their radar, because, again, as we continue to grow, the need for speakers goes higher and higher. And we are praying that you or somebody, you know, might want to fit that bill. So again, we'd love you to join the C-Suite for Christ Speakers Bureau. Go to our website to learn more, csuiteforchrist.com. So I was work. Uh, it's the operative word in my mind here today, and there's a couple reasons why I'm thinking of the word work. Number one, I'm a recovering workaholic, and I don't mind telling you that. And it's, it's kind of therapeutic to, to share that from time to time, and that's a problem 
in today's society, not because workaholism is a bad thing, but in today's society, workaholism is a good thing. That's something that is celebrated. If you tell somebody you're addicted to alcohol, they say, the heck's wrong with you. If you tell somebody you're addicted to drugs, something's wrong with you. If you tell somebody you're addicted to pornography, what's wrong with you? But you tell somebody you're addicted to work, they're thinking, man, I wish I had your motivation. Man, I wish I had your drive. That's great. What are you talking about? That's not a problem. It is a problem. Because anything that ends in alism is never a good thing. And you figure that if you're addicted to work, what's happening? That just basically means you're working all the time. You're in the office a lot. You're traveling a lot. You're doing work-related activities on an ongoing, regular basis. Well, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your last name is. The great equalizer is time. You could be a billionaire, but you still got the same amount of time as everybody else. Your last name could be Kennedy or Rockefeller or Carnegie or Biden or Trump or anything for that matter. I don't care what your last name is. You still have 24 hours in a day. It is the great equalizer. So if you're a workaholic, that just means you're spending more and more and more and more time at the office, which means you're spending less and less time with your family, less and less time on yourself be it rest, be it going to the gym, be it just blowing off some steam with some buddies. And also, you're spending less and less time with God. I've said this previously, but again, it's it's good for me and it's good for other alpha men and women to hear this. Busy is an acronym. It stands for Buried Under Satan's Yoke. Satan wants you busy. Satan needs you busy. Satan obsesses with keeping you busy. Satan never sleeps, so it doesn't matter to him. But the reason he wants you busy for the reasons that I just said, if you're really, really busy, you don't have time for church. You don't have time for Bible study. You don't have time for prayer. You don't have time for fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have time to go to that food pantry. You don't have time to go on that mission trip. You're just too gosh darn busy. And that's what Satan wants. So for these reasons and more, work has just been on my mind. And and I'm sure you can relate to this. Now, I'm 40, which, you know, again, I don't know how old you are. You look good for your age, though. Have I told you that? But nothing matters but by comparison. So I'm just kind of comparing this to myself. So, again, probably not old in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, I've been a professional now for going on 20 years 18 years, something like that, since I graduated college back in 2005. And I've had a number of different work experiences. This is weird how, how God kind of just takes you down this trail sometimes, isn't it? I mean, what what do you know? What do I know? You know, we, we, we may be sitting here, oh, I got these big plans for my life. I got these big lofty ambitions. Boy, howdy, I'm going to do all these really great things. And then Five years go by, 20 years go by. It's like, wow, I am nowhere near where I thought I would be. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good. In my case, I'll say it's it's pretty good. When I went to college, I double majored in biology and chemistry. I minored in physics. I know. I know. You never would have known it to look at me. I used to be smart in a previous life, apparently, because I thought, you know, being the orthopedic surgeon of the Green Bay Packers would be a pretty sweet job. But when I graduated, 
I took a year off just to get some life experience. I fell into professional fundraising, loved it, absolutely loved it. Never went back to biology, never went on to medical school, got a whole bunch of promotions during my time as a professional fundraiser, as a college and university administrator, following a very sudden and unexpected death on my wife's side of the family, I, I decided to become a financial advisor to, to make sure that anybody that passes away is not going to leave their loved ones in the lurch. From there, I realized, hey, I got a pretty good knack for sales. And of all the things involved with sales, I was really, really good at the thing that was probably the most difficult in the entire sales universe, which was cold calling. So I went off on my own, started my first business, the cold call coach, had a lot of success with that. Workaholism kicked me in the tail and decided to take a well-paid sabbatical to some degree, uh, joined on with uh, my good friends in um, uh, a large organization, uh, insurance organization in the state of Wisconsin, did that for three or four years, got the itch to go back to entrepreneurship and um, fell into C-Suite for Christ. So a lot of just different things going on. So there's been there's been a lot of work opportunities, a lot of work responsibilities, a lot of different work environments. And the one that keeps coming back to me was the last position I had in higher education before I became a certified financial advisor. I was the vice president of advancement for a large Catholic university in the state of Wisconsin. And like a lot of jobs, it just started off fine. But boy, it just it dovetailed pretty quickly. And it's, you know, again, one of those things that you, every, everybody, for the most part, has a honeymoon period. You know, oh, the boss is great. Oh, the culture is awesome. Yay. I get all these cool responsibilities and all these other fun things. And then you realize pretty quick, whoa, this is not all it was cracked up to be. Maybe the boss wasn't quite who you thought he or she was. Maybe the corporate culture, whoa, this was not what I saw in the postcard. Maybe the job that this was billed out to be turns out pretty quick. Wow. Th this is not what I was expecting for a bunch of reasons and more. This was my life. My boss just, he and I just did not see eye to eye and it became pretty bad as time went on. We're almost kind of like an antagonistic relationship that was, you know, going down the toilet, pretty quickly the, the corporate culture became very very toxic people on my team started to turn on each other i was and again i'm not bucking the blame at all i was whatever i was 30 years old uh, not nearly as mature as i am now and i'm not as mature as i'll be 10 years from now that comes with life experience and i was i volunteered to take on dirty jobs and i'm kind of like oh, how come nobody else wanted to do these well there was a reason a lot of politics being played and i was being you know, cast into the light as the bad guy. And it was just a, it was a mess. It was robbing me of my rest. It was robbing me of my sleep. I don't mind telling you, I had to, I was on two different types of anxiety medications during that time, just a function. I had one to, to almost like put me in a trance, you know, <laughs> it's like, like I'm comatose. So, so these things aren't bothering me as much as they otherwise would be. And, and the other one was just to slow my heart rate down because man, it's like I'm running a marathon all day, every day. It's, it's just constant anxiety. And at one point, I could see the writing on the wall. I, again, I'm not going to point blame at anybody. But, you know, well, it's this person's fault, or it's this organization's fault, or it's my fault. I mean, everybody had a role in this. There's multiple sides to every single story. I'm sure there were things that I could have done different to, to avoid kind of the fate that I was in. But I could see that I was in a bad spot. The way people were talking, the way my boss was talking, the way decisions were being made, the meetings I'm not invited to. Like, I was just starting to see, whoa. 
I don't know if this is going to last a whole lot longer. And I don't mind telling you, maybe part of this is luck. Part of this, I guess, is skill to some degree. Up to that point, I had never been fired. I don't know if you've ever been fired. Some people have been fired due to cause. You know, you, you just made a terrible mistake. You, you did something you shouldn't have done. You learn from it. That happens. Other people were, were fired maybe due to corporate downsizing. Hey, we don't have enough revenue. The, the, the potential client that was going to land never landed. Sorry, you got to go. People get fired a lot. That happens. But up until this point, I'd never been fired. I've been promoted a lot. I've gotten a lot of recognition and accolades. I'd never been in a position where I was going down the toilet this quickly. Brand new to me. So this is what it feels like to be the enemy. This is what it feels like to be hated. This is what it feels like to have tension so thick with your boss that everybody around you can probably feel it. It was new to me. I had never experienced this. I had never gone through something like this. I really didn't even know what to expect, but I'm not an idiot. I'm not the smartest guy in the world by far. You've already listened to me talk for 10 minutes. You're probably, well, duh, Newberger. I can see that just by listening to you talk. Never been in a situation like this. And here's what I did. I, based on what I was seeing, based on what I was experiencing, based on the whispers that were going around, just again, based on this animosity and tension growing thicker and heavier and just a little bit more obvious, I checked out. I checked out. Now, there's a part of me that says, yeah. For all the stuff that I was subject to, and I would never, ever air dirty laundry on a podcast, ever. It's none of your business. You know, who said what or what exactly happened? But I went through a lot. Again, there was politics. There was backstabbing. There was name calling. There were promises made that weren't kept. Part of me felt justified. Hey, for all this crap that I've been through, I'm going to plug out. I'm going to check out, plug out. Is that even is that even a word? I'm going to check out. I'm going to unplug. I'm done. Again, I, I was fairly certain the axe was going to come down. My head was on the chopping block in the guillotine. Again, I'd never been fired before. I didn't know when. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know, you know how soon this was going to come. I didn't know when I was, you know, like uh, I love mob movies. Like I'm sitting at a bar one moment and that same guy comes from behind me. Bam, whacked. Like I don't know if it's quick, if it's slow. I have no idea. But I just said, eh. I've been through a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. So what did that mean? There were days I was sitting in my office. I was physically there, mentally gone, surfing the web on my phone, daydreaming. I don't know. Days I, <coughs> sorry, boss. Oh, I can't keep any food done. I'm sick. I wasn't sick. Stayed home with my kids for two or three days. Again, I'm not proud of this necessarily, but I thought, eh, I deserve it after all that I've been through. On the flip side, however, I can see why that was not a good move. I was the vice president of this university. That's a big job for a 30-year-old. It's a big university. One of the bigger ones in the state. The school was dependent on me for revenue. The, the school was dependent on me for to make decisions. The school was dependent on me to move projects forward. Now, again, I can say all the things that I said. Well, you know, they made promises they didn't fulfill. Why do I have to fulfill the promises that I made? But, you know, from an integrity perspective, it, it probably was not very professional. But this went on for about two and a half weeks, maybe even close to three weeks. Not showing up or being there, not paying attention, not checking emails, letting things go. And then came that day where I was called into my boss's office. I could tell right away 
I mean, despite the fact I'm sure he enjoyed firing me, he had some stress on his face. I'm like, oh, this isn't usually what I see. And then his administrative assistant came in. And I'm like, oh, here's the witness. I bet you I'm about to get whacked. Sure enough, got whacked. First time got fired, left. Now, again, when I was fired the first time, like the first couple minutes after he let me go and I left and, you know, got my severance or whatever else. I'm like, whew, it's like a load off my off my shoulders because it was such a toxic, bad place to be. But then, you know, reality strikes in comes in. Oh, well, what am I going to do for money? And how is this going to affect my resume and the career, the career trajectory that I was on, all that kind of stuff. But what I really want to focus on here is that that two and a half to three week time period where I was checking out. And again, I I. I'm clinically obsessive compulsive disorder. I take medication for it. So when I say I obsess about things from time to time, I'm not kidding. I'm not talking like I obsess about Kentucky fried chicken or I obsess about the Packers. People throw out that word obsess a lot. You have no freaking idea what it means to obsess unless you have OCD. These thoughts just are on your mind nonstop. You can't shut them off. They rob you of your rest. You're listening to somebody talk, but all you hear is the voice in your head saying these various things. Now, thankfully, mine is... Very well under control. I've had to learn a lot in terms of how to manage it. But again, sometimes when a thought pops in your head, you obsess about it. And, you know, when you when you think about this notion of work and kind of that traumatic thing that I that I went through in a number of different regards. What did I do? I felt slighted at the office. I felt like my boss wasn't valuing me. I felt like promises weren't kept. I felt like the culture was extremely toxic. I felt like it was a sinking ship. And I thought, well, I'm going to get back to them. I'm just I'm going to collect my paycheck, but I'm not going to work. I'm going to be here physically and I'll do the absolute bare minimum, if that, but I'm not going above and beyond. I felt at that time I was sticking it to my boss, that I was sticking it to my employer. I'll tell you right now, I was wrong. I was wrong in the sense that that was inappropriate behavior. Because at the end of the day, especially as Christians, we have to be men and women of integrity. And integrity is not just doing the right thing in public. It's doing the right thing when no one is looking. And I was not a man of integrity during that period of time. Even though I was stressed, even though I might have been justified in feeling the way that I did, I was still getting paid to do a job that I wasn't doing to the fullest of my ability. I was still being paid to go to meetings and to show up and to give speeches and to make money for the university and do all these other things. And, and I was just going through the motions. I was not a man of integrity, but my rationale for doing that was I don't want to work for this boss anymore. I don't want to give him my best. I don't want to give my employer my best. If they're going to treat people like me this way, they need to reap what they sow. I want to make their life as difficult as they've made mine. That was my rationale. I was wrong. If I could go back and redo it, I would redo it. Thankfully, God got me out of that position. It's never fun to be fired. And again, my boss was a real jerk. I mean, he, he actually took away my severance. We signed off on the severance. It was like a three-month severance. Good. It gives me an opportunity to find a new job. Two weeks into it, he reneges on it and takes it away. I mean, this guy was just a real a-hole. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Probably not very Christian of me to say that. It's a little therapeutic. I don't mind. But I, I, the way that I treated that situation was still bad. But again, the theme is I wanted to get back at my boss. I wanted to get back at my organization, my employer, and that was how the best way that I knew how to do that. I guess my first question is, can you relate to that at all? 
Have you ever been in an unhealthy work environment, an unhealthy work situation, and you wanted to stick it to your boss or you didn't want to give your boss his, your best because he or she wasn't giving you their best? Why should you look out for them if they're not looking out for you type of a thing? First of all, can you relate to that? And I guess the other reason why I feel like what I did was inappropriate, not just from an ethical perspective, not just from a professional perspective, what I did was wrong. And if you've done something similar or are in the middle of doing something similar, it is just as wrong as what I did because it has nothing to do with ethics. It has nothing to do with professionalism. It has nothing to do with personal vendettas. It has everything to do with your faith life. Because the reason I was wrong, again, not even so much from an ethical perspective or a professional perspective, the reason what I did was wrong is now that I realized I wasn't working for this boss. I wasn't working for the university, my employer. I wasn't working for the board of trustees or the community or all of the alumni and other stakeholders associated with this university. I was working for the Lord. And I let him down. Here's a newsflash for you. When I say, who's your boss? Think about how you would answer that. Most people would say their immediate supervisor. Most people would say the person that runs their company. If you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe sometimes it feels like the kids are running your life or, or your spouse is the head of the household. I don't know however you would answer that. I would say about 80%, maybe even 85%. When you say, who's your boss? The first thing that comes to their mind is some type of a human authority figure, mostly a supervisor, the owner of an organization, the stakeholders involved, whatever it is. All those people are wrong. And if you would answer that way too, you are wrong. Because according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Your earthly boss is not your boss. The Lord is your boss. Your earthly supervisor is not your boss. The Lord is your boss. If you're an elected official, the people that elected you into office are not your boss. The Lord is your boss. If you happen to be a professional athlete or, or somebody to, to that effect, maybe even uh, somebody who's in the movies or a, on a play or something like that, your boss is not the general manager or the manager or the director. Your boss is the Lord. And there's two big things I want you to take out of Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And the first one is this. You live your life for an audience of one. And I think the sooner we bring clarity to this, the better it's going to be. Because part of the reason we get so stressed out as Christians, part of the reason that we get so stressed out as 
business executives is because we're trying to please so many different people. You're trying to, if you're an executive, you're trying to please your employees because if you don't, productivity suffers. You're trying to please your board because if you don't, they lose confidence in you and they fire you. You're trying to please your customers because if you don't, they leave you and the money dries up. You're trying to please your prospects because if you can't get their attention and if you can't make them think, gosh, I should hire this organization, there's no future. Then you come home. That's just the work side of things. Then you go home. You, now you got to please your spouse, please your kids, please your parents, please your community. If you're a volunteer, please those organizations that you're associated with. You just become this professional people pleaser. And there's so many different people you got to please. The problem is these are all different people that have different wants and they have different expectations and their needs are all different. The way you're going to please your spouse is different than how you're going to please your employees. The ways you please your board of directors are going to be different than the way you please your children. It's just all this people pleasing, all these different thoughts, all these different actions, all these different activities, all these different things going through your mind. And you wonder why depression is so so high. You wonder why anxiety is so high. You wonder why suicide rates are so high. You wonder why obesity is so high. You wonder why divorce is so high. How do you keep all how do you how do you keep all this straight? And we haven't even talked about the need to please yourself. No wonder people don't do anything for themselves. Yeah, I really need rest. Can't. I should I'd really love to go see this new movie. Can't. I'd really love to watch the the football game on Sunday. Can't. Too many people to please. I'm not saying it's bad to serve others. I'm not saying it's bad to be of service to others and, and to make others have an enriching life. What I'm saying is you can't do all of that or prioritize all of that at the expense of the one who matters the most, God. You got to play for an audience of one. I'm married. I don't know how she's put up with me this long, but I'm married. I have three small children. I own three businesses, including an international ministry. I'm an international keynote speaker as well, so I'm traveling all the time. Got a large social media following. I'm on a couple boards. I got all these different things going on. I'm right there in that category with you. But what I'm saying is, Will this decision be pleasing to God? And if the answer is no, I don't do it. But if the answer is yes, I don't care about everything else. This decision will please God. It might upset my spouse. Well, but I'm playing for an audience of one. This activity might not be what my board wants me to do or my stakeholders want me to do. But I can tell deep down based on the tug on my heartstrings and the feeling I get in my soul, this is what God wants me to do. So if they're not happy, so be it. You need to get to the point where you're ready to lose your spouse if it keeps you from an intimate relationship with God, where you're ready to be estranged from your kids if your kids are keeping you from living a life that God wants you to do, where you're willing to walk off of a job. And this is the other thing too. I hear this all the time. We're a collection of Christian cowards a lot of the times. And I hope I hope you get a little irritated by that. I hope that convicts you. Maybe even you're like, Newberger, you're an idiot. I'm done. 
I mean, don't be gone long. I, I love you. I'll miss you. And I'd have an audience of none for this podcast. But the, re- the reason I say that is Christians, specifically people in general, are just really good at talking a good game. You know, it's so easy to listen to a podcast like this and say, yeah, I'm on fire for the Lord. Nothing's going to stop me. It's so easy when you're in church. Yeah, this is where I need to go. God all the time. Woo-hoo! It's so easy when you're in fellowship or Bible study, you're praying to God. Yeah, I'm, I'm courageously Christian. I'm all set and ready to go. Then you find yourself in a compromising position in the office and you chicken out. Uh, I can't leave. I'm making six figures here. I can't leave. I've got 11 years in. I can't leave. I got a pension. You're not playing for an audience of one, if that's the case. Where's your faith, man? I can't leave. I got a good job here. You don't think you could find another job elsewhere? You don't think God might reward you from getting from getting out of a really toxic culture? You don't think God might reward you for kind of listening to the nudging that he's putting on your soul? Hey, come on, come this way. I got a better place for you. No, God, I know better. Plus, this is a nice 401k match and everything else. That's stupid. You play for an audience of one. Every decision you make, every opportunity that you have, every person that comes into your life, every time you open your mouth, in every single situation, you play for an audience of one. This should bring a lot of clarity now in terms of the decisions you got to make and this, this habit of being a people pleaser. The other thing that you need to know, too, is, again, these human Authority figures are not your boss. These are not your masters. The Lord is. So when I start my day, and again, it's like, boy, starting at like 6.30 in the morning when I get behind my computer, it's like being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and it doesn't stop until I go to bed at night because I got so much stuff going on and, and things are growing and you got all these balls in the air and everything else. And I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I say the same thing to myself, too. My board is not my boss. The members of C-Suite for Christ are not my boss. The corporate sponsors of C-Suite for Christ are not my boss. The individuals associated with our Speakers Bureau are not my boss. The chapter presidents, the licensees all over the world, they're not my boss. I I Certainly, those are our stakeholders. Certainly, I want to do right by them. But my boss is the Lord. So every task I do needs to glorify him. And what this does is is this serves two things. One, it takes the most meaningless, mundane tasks and turns in a way to worship and glorify him. Oh, today I got to send out invoices. This sucks. Well, again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I'm going to do this with a smile on my face. I'm going to use the right grammar. I'm going to make sure that I get all these out on time because my boss is the Lord, and that's who I'm working for. Around my house, again, with three small, when I say small, I mean, they're, they're young, 11, 9, and 6, but I don't know if my wife took growth hormone when she was pregnant, but all three of my kids are just going to be monsters. Just They're tall. Uh, not fat, but uh, especially my middle son, Hudson. Gosh, he could be an offensive lineman for the Bengals at this point already. This kid is so big. 
but it, but it's the same thing, you know, with these big kids, you know, they make messes and whatever else. And I can find myself, you know, it's it's Saturday, whatever else. I got to clean the house. Oh, I got to scrub the, the three toilets in our house. This sucks. Well, why did I get stuck with this job? This really blows. I'm not doing this anymore. I guess you could say cleaning the toilets is a crappy job. You see what I did? See, you only get that kind of wit at the C-Suite for Christ podcast. It's pretty cool. But again, the same thing. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I don't want to be doing this. There is not a single country in the world where this is considered a glorified activity. But it needs to be done. I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to go a little bit above and beyond. I'm going to use some extra soap. I'm going to scrub a little bit harder. And I'm going to make sure that I dry it all off so the next person that sits down on the toilet seat doesn't feel the wetness. I'm just, this is going to be the best toilet cleaning job in the world because my boss, the Lord, expects nothing less. And I want to glorify him through all that I do. Lord, this isn't a fun job, but thank you for giving me a family. Lord, this isn't a fun job, but thanks for keeping us healthy where we don't have bowel obstructions. Lord, this is not a fun job. But, you know, thank you for giving me arms and eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm going to say thank you by just doing the absolute very best job that I can in this regard. Imagine how high quality our lives would be if we stopped trying to work for human masters or getting back at human masters or trying to please human masters or trying to see exceed expectations of our human masters or trying to suck up to human masters or trying to play the political game with our human masters. Forget all that. Simplify life. The only real entity you need to please is your heavenly father. That's it. Full stop. Period. Amen. That simplifies your entire life. But then the second thing is, if you want to live a high-quality life, every activity, every opportunity, every interaction, every time you open your mouth is an opportunity to glorify God because he is your boss. Don't take my word for it. Don't just say, well, Newberger was on a roll. I'm going to believe what that schmuck had to say. No, it's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whether it's a glorified job, whether it's behind the scenes and nobody's seeing it, whether it's a job like cleaning the toilets and nobody wants to do, whatever you do, everything, all the time, work at it with all your heart. Give it your best shot. Go above and beyond when you can. Put a little elbow grease into it. Be a little bit of an overachiever. Put some pride, the good kind of pride. Be proud of what you're doing. Because you're not trying to impress human masters. You're not trying to impress human bosses. You're doing this to give glory, honor, praise, and worship to the only person that ever matters, to the only person that ever will matter, your Lord, Jesus Christ. I failed miserably in this regard for those two and a half to three weeks when I was working for that university, when I was plugging out, I said, plugging out again. Why do I keep saying plugging out? It makes me with my wigging out or what the heck does plugging out? We're going to, we're just going to start using plugging out on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. Let's start t-shirts. I'm ready to plug out. I was un 
plugging at that time. I was checking out at that time because I thought I was going to stick it to my human masters. Instead, regrettably, sadly, embarrassingly, I stuck it to my Lord. I disappointed my Lord. I did not use the talents and abilities that he so generously gave me. And I'm ashamed and embarrassed, and I can't go back and redo that. But I can repent for my sins. I can come to my Heavenly Father and beg for forgiveness. But then I can also say, never again. Because I don't work for you, the listener of this podcast. I don't work for the members of C-Suite for Christ. I don't work for the Fortune 500 companies that hire me to, to do speeches and stuff for their conferences and sales trainings and all that other kind of stuff. Everything I do is to please the Lord because that's who I work for. That's who you work for. And I pray that we never, ever forget it. One person that I suppose technically works for me, although it feels more like a brother relationship, is Tom Feldhusen. Tom Feldhusen is an executive advisor. He's been my professional secret weapon for going on about seven years now. And in addition to providing me with unbelievable professional guidance, helping me mature as a leader, helping me put together a plan for personal and professional success. Tom Feldhusen's amazing skill, and I have yet to meet anybody, and I know a ton of people, I've yet to meet anybody that can match Tom in this regard, is your most important asset, your people. And a lot of us as leaders, we have questions. Gosh, do I have the right people on the bus? If they're on the bus, do I have them in the right seats on the bus? Am I meeting them where they're at? Am I putting them in a position to be successful? If I have another job opening, gosh, how do I find the right person? How do I know if this person is the right person? Tom Feldhusen, executive advisor, is your man. In addition to just having a, a really good way about him and being able to read the tea leaves, he does have a proprietary program that allows you to do personality assessments on your team, on your leadership uh, and then the, the leaders of your organization and including individuals that might want to join. And this thing is second to none. I've made nothing but the right hires for my organization as a result of this. So do yourself a favor. Give Tom Feldhusen an executive advisor a call. My secret weapon can be your secret weapon. You can reach him at 262-305-2502. We're going to take a really quick break, and we're going to be back with Jennifer Schilke, CEO of Summit Group Solutions. Don't go away. Need a trade show display? A lobby renovation? Heck, how about help with an event that you're hosting? Captivate Exhibits can do it all. Plus, they're an outspoken, faith-based organization that puts Christ first in all that they do. Ready to captivate the attention of the masses? Then check them out today at CaptivateExhibits.com. That's CaptivateExhibits.com.
And welcome back, everybody. Getting very excited because our guest of honor is just about 60 seconds or so away here. And before I bring on Jennifer, one of the things that I just really want to make sure you, as our listening audience, fully understand. Now, you see a lot about C-Suite for Christ on social media. You're listening to this podcast, which we really do appreciate. But some people still don't have a firm idea or an understanding what our ministry is all about. So in about 45 seconds, let me just give you a high-level overview. First and foremost, we are not a networking group. So if you're somebody that wants to network primarily with other Christian business executives, regrettably, we're probably not going to be a good fit for you. Number two, primarily speaking, we are not a professional development organization. So if you're somebody who's thinking, man, I want to become a better leader, I, I want to learn a bunch of skills so I can more adeptly lead my organization. Again, regrettably, we're probably not the best fit for you. Those things do happen. Don't get me wrong. We just don't put a ton of resources into networking. We don't put a ton of resources into professional development because, quite frankly, this world doesn't need more networking. Quite frankly, this world doesn't need more professional development. What this world needs is more Christ. So the way that I like to describe our group is we are a spiritual gas station where you can come once a month for a pick-me-up, for a fill-up, where other executives can pray for you, where other executives can encourage you, and where other executives can help disciple you so that you can become the best possible version that God wants you to be. So if you're interested in having other executives pray for you, talk to you, enjoy some intimate fellowship, but more than anything else, just really work together to help us be the best possible people that Christ wants us to be. I would strongly encourage you to take a look at our ministry. Go to our website, csweetforchrist.com, because it would be a blessing to have you. Speaking of blessing, our guest has been a blessing to the C-Suite for Christ ministry and me personally. Her name is Jennifer Schielke. She's the CEO and co-founder of Summit Group Solutions, and she's uh, working hard every single day to cover the world in Christ. Jennifer, how you doing, sister? Well, with that introduction, I can't be doing anything but wonderful. Thank you. Well, of course. And like I said, it's a blessing to have you in the ministry. It's a blessing to be in the foxhole here with you. And one of the things that is certainly going to be a blessing is your take on what I would say is a very important Bible verse, especially for Christian business executives. Heck, anybody who's doing anything in any given day, I would say. And that verse is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, which again says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. So Jennifer, to get us going, what does Colossians chapter three, verse 23 mean to you specifically? Well, I think you hit it on the head when you introduced a uh, C-suite for Christ. And that is this world needs more of Christ. And for this first, it's getting the focus off of ourselves and our insufficiency and really on Christ and his adequacy and fixing our eyes on him in everything that we do in our hearts, willingness, in our talents that we've been given and in our focus on what we're trying to do. I think also in my leadership, my purpose statement is to be a faithful steward over all that the Lord has given me. And so remembering that in everything I'm doing each day and trying to be the light for the world, and we're not going to solve every problem, but as we put it in perspective and eternal perspective, it may at times reshape how we approach someone or a situation and especially our relationships. Yeah, I think well said. We are off to a good start here. And one of the things that you had talked about is something I'd like to go a little bit deeper with. And, and that is really just, as you said, where we keep our focus. 
One of the things that I struggle with, I have to imagine you struggle with this too, Jennifer, to some degree, is where our focus is. And far too often, way more than I'd like to admit, my focus is on myself, my problems, my struggles, my worries, my challenges, having pity parties or, or, or wow, that person offended me. What did that person, why did that person do that to me? It's so easy to have a focus on ourselves, our goals, our challenges, our struggles, our wants, whatever it is. As you said, scripture rightfully tells us, make sure that we're keeping the focus on the cross, make sure that we're keeping the focus on our heavenly father. Despite how many times scripture tells us that, it's still very, very hard to do. So I guess my question, Jennifer, why is it so hard to get the focus off of ourselves? And do you have any advice or best practices for our listening audience about how to keep our focus on Jesus? That's a great observation. And thank you for sharing. I affirm that I too struggle with the same things. We're broken people and we're not just broken, but we have a world and a culture around us that feeds into the me focus. Think of this as a selfie generation that we've entered into and we share in, and it's so easy to look at the world and hear affirmations of our struggles and somehow then think that's the most important thing. And some things that I try to do for myself that really help is that morning wake up call is first to the Lord with filled with gratitude and thanking him for a new day. It's, it's my redo button. What can I do better? And I think being really grounded in that morning quiet time and focusing on scripture, I certainly notice the difference when I do that. And when I don't, when I wake up in the rush of things and you're right, you know, when we start focusing on how it impacts us, there's a a whole trail of things that we can go down and your mind starts to take off and it does become about you. We do become consumed with ourselves and that servant heart starts to disappear. So reviving it through scripture, uh, music is amazing too. Sometimes I'll just turn on some hymns to just quiet my mind a little bit. And of course, being centered and, and focused on him is very helpful when we're in fellowship, like with C-Suite for Christ and meeting with other Christ followers and leaders. Yeah, I would agree. And I don't know if you hear this at all, but one of the blessings of being a founder of a ministry that has several thousand people associated with it is I have a lot of conversations with Christ-centric men and women, and I hear a number of different things. And, and from time to time, what I'll hear from some people is they're playing, they're praying for a bigger platform. And then from that platform, they want to honor God. So to use an example, uh, you know, I really hope I become a professional athlete, or I really hope I get that CEO title because once I'm a CEO, I can really honor God. I'll have a platform. Once I'm a professional athlete, I can honor God because I have a platform. What's interesting is some of these people pray for this platform, yet they don't necessarily honor God or give God all that glory and honor in the daily mundane tasks. It's easy to honor God when you're in the green room on NFL draft day. It's easy to honor God when you get chosen to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Not always easy to honor God when you're scrubbing the toilets. Not always easy to honor God when you're cutting the grass, but I think that's what Colossians 3.23 is talking about. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That includes scrubbing the toilets. That includes sweeping the gym floor. That includes putting somebody on a performance improvement plan, and I think we lose sight of that from time to time. So, Jennifer, what do you agree that it can be hard to honor God in the mundane? And if the answer is yes, what have, what have you done or what have you found that works to give him glory and honor in everything that you end up doing? 
I wholeheartedly agree that sometimes it's hard to do in the mundane. I also think sometimes that would be the most important times. I think I've been blessed with growing up. I grew up on an island, very simple way of life. And I always believed that there was a God. I didn't have that relationship. And once I blossomed and realized the relationship was there, it's that presence of mind in everything that we do. And I think it starts with looking at each other through the lens of the dignity intended to each other. And, you know, there may be some person who comes across very grumpy or unkind and it's hard. Again, we get that me focus and how it affects us. But if we just pause for a minute and remember, well, they were made for a purpose too. They share the God that we share, whether they believe it or not, does not um, diminish the fact that they were made with purpose and just pausing and realizing this may be someone whose day we do not see. They may be more broken in that moment um, in their home life, or they may have just lost their job. And it's again, turning the focus away from us and onto the person and realizing we don't know the whole story. And if we're interested in the whole story, then that can build that relationship that really tethers us and we can serve them through whatever it is, whether it be wiping tables, serving ice cream, every person has equal dignity and every job and role has equal dignity. Um, none more important than other. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or a staff member, you make up a team and you have a role and a purpose. And our job is to just step out there and do it very well. Well, you got to be careful about that example of serving ice cream because you're making me hungry now. But yes, sir, serving ice cream, especially if it's a double scoop with a cherry on top. I, I could certainly praise God in that situation, to say the least. Uh, one of the things that I'll say, so you don't have to say it, and again, if you disagree, please tell me because you know this is um, not a dictatorship to say the least. But one of the things that I, that I worry about, and this is the primary reason why C-Suite for Christ exists in the first place, I worry about a lack of courageous Christians in the boardroom. I worry about a lack of courageous Christians in the C-suite. They do exist. I know they're out there. Our organization is full of them. But sometimes people are, are put in a position where, you know, well, why aren't you creating a Christ-centric corporate culture? Well, my board won't let me. Why are you engaging in, in, the, in this unethical behavior? Well, because if I don't, my boss is going to fire me. So what I like about Colossians 3.23 is how it ends. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In my humble opinion, now, sometimes I'm going to make this sound easier said than done. I'm playing life for an audience of one, and that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thankfully, I'm married to somebody who also looks at life that way. But if my wife kept me from Jesus Christ, that's a problem. If my job keeps me from Jesus Christ, that's a problem. If my friends keep me from Jesus Christ, that's a problem. It just seems like too many people, especially Christians, understand this, but because their board won't let them, they don't. Well, wait, who are you working for? Are you working for the Lord or are you working for human masters? So I guess my first question, Jennifer, do you think this is a problem or, or am I just out to lunch? And then number two, as a top executive yourself, if somebody listening says, oh, you're describing my situation. What advice would you give that person as far as how to how to handle something like this? Another great observation where I would agree with you, just looking at my path and the arena I've been surrounded in, I think it is true. There is a lack of boldness. I know that in our area for years, there was a push on 
kindness. And there's a misrepresentation of that kindness, because as you uh, said something earlier about giving the performance review plan or getting somebody to a better place, it's not kind to leave someone in darkness where they are. It is not a kind thing to do, to just accept them with biblical, um, standards that are not being met. It's love on the person for sure, but there are ways that we can do them and guide them in truth. And I think that that's sometimes a hard bar. I think personality and gifting plays a a role in it, but if you are meant to lead and we're all disciples, so in some way or fashion, we are meant to lead in the truth. It's how seriously you take that. And like you said, an audience of one, if we're fixing us on our eyes on Jesus. That's where we need to be a hundred percent of the time. And it's a really easy bar to measure up against. It really tells you when something comes up where you should go and where you should stand. I had an incident uh, where an HR individual pulled me inside and said, Jennifer, you need to be a little careful about the way you present your faith because it could get you into a little bit of trouble. And this is about four or five years ago. And I looked at him and I said, I appreciate you pulling me aside. However, everything that I have is from the Lord and it is my job to use it well and to use it to glorify him. So if I lose my job, my role, or even my company because of my faith, I'm okay with that. And we really have to be okay with that. And we have to know not not doing so without responsibility, but mindfully and prayerfully. And I think that prayer is sometimes the missing piece. People just uh, think about how they feel. Oh, it doesn't feel right. Oh, I'm going to be put on the spot. Oh, I'll, I'll look, um, I'll look mean, or people will think I'm crazy or fill in the blank, whatever it is. If we prayerfully seek him and his will and where he wants us to go, the path forward is easy. It's intentional. He he puts us on steady ground. I think that's where we need to focus. Yeah, I would agree. And one of the, the examples that I would have too is you, you just see, to, to your point, you just see so many people tied up into this. Well, what if I lose my job? I won't be able to pay my bills. I, I won't be able to make ends meet. You know, part of me is just almost kind of thinking, well, well, then where's your faith? I mean, if you're so caught up, well, I can't lose this job. I can't lose this opportunity. I can't. Well, where's your faith that God's going to take care of you? Where's your faith that God's going to reward you for taking a stand? And and again, speaking just directly here, I mean, you've, you've got this issue with wokeism. You've got this issue with anti-Christian ideology. And part of the reason that people talk like that is because there's nobody proving them wrong. There's nobody proving that that these ideas are incorrect. Could you imagine if we got to the point where every time a Christian was hauled into an HR department, that Christian just left. Well, fine, then I'm going to go somewhere else. These organizations would naturally stop doing this because they can't afford to lose that many employees in one fell swoop. Uh, I had a a friend who uh, was in the medical profession uh, when COVID first came on. Uh, She's a nurse, and she kept saying, if they require me to take a shot, I'm out of here. If they require me to get a shot, I'm going to walk. Sure enough, they required her to take a shot. What'd she do? She took it. And again, free will. But I just asked, I said, well, why'd you take, gosh, you talked a good game for months. Why the heck did, well, I can't afford to lose my job. Could you imagine if if every Christian that was forced to take the COVID vaccine said, well, then I'm out of here. Organizations would change their behavior. If, if we push back, if we stand up for what we believe in, 
these issues are going to be issues of the past. One of the uh, the thoughts that I also have here, Jennifer, too, uh, just, you know, when you talk about this topic uh, specifically, you're obviously very passionate about this. This is something that that means a lot to you. I guess, generally speaking, where does this passion come from? Uh, of all the things that you could be passionate about, why is it this topic? And I mean, do you have a do you have a story behind this that uh, kind of got you here to this time and place? I think the the Lord has woken me up on a path. I didn't come to faith until I was twenty eight, and I maybe feel like I was making up for a lost time. Like I said, I always believed in the Lord, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And I think one of the things that really woke me up was my identity was always in school, in education, and then in my job and my career. And God got a hold of me and he really shook me up. And that job got removed. I got married and all of a sudden I had to reprioritize my life. And he, the Lord really said, are you, what are you willing to sacrifice? And it was my career. I thought at that time, and he took me from a very, um, fastly progressing career where I was very successful and ripped it away and asked me to step, step away from it. So I did. And it was the hardest resignation I've ever done because I felt like I really recognized that I was putting my identity in success and not in Christ. And so he took me to my foundation and then I just started serving him and studying his word. And that really, he gave me a place in ministry. We had life on life, um, conversations and that transitioned everything. And I was just fully devoted after that. You know, my husband noticed a difference. I certainly noticed a difference. And once you get that passion and you have that relationship, I don't think you can change that. I think sometimes you feel dry, but it's not because he's not present. It's because I've let the world take control of where my mind is, where my time goes, and I have to get that back. So my passion, I think it's the gift, the very gift of faith, of faith, excuse me. It's where my passion comes from. Yeah. And it's really self-evident in talking to you that uh, this is where your heart is. And it's a blessing to the ministry that you feel this way. It's also a blessing to Christianity as a whole that you feel this way. One of the last questions that I have for you, because time sure does go fast when I'm talking to you, sister, uh, is is this notion of comfortable Christianity. And this is one of the things that, that I talk about on a pretty regular basis. In addition to C-Suite for Christ, I'm, I'm blessed to do a decent amount of speaking. And one of the things that I really want for C-Suite for Christ is also something that I want for this podcast. Basically, if we're not convicting somebody, what's the point? I mean, I want all of our content to challenge everyone. I want all of our content to readjust people's perspectives. And a lot of people, they just like the comfortable Christianity. I go to church on Sundays. I say prayers when I can. Everything is warm and cozy. That's good. Here's a newsflash. If you're doing Christianity in a comfortable fashion, you're doing it all wrong because Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable. And when one of the, the hallmarks of this, again, it's easy to talk. It's a lot harder to do. But you look back to Jesus's 12 apostles. These people left their families. These people left their livelihoods. 
they, they, these people left their their whole way of living and they just followed this teacher to the ends of the earth. You think it was easy for them to do that? But Jesus called them to do that, just like Jesus is calling you and me to do things like this. So, Jennifer, to kind of bring this conversation to fruition here again, I'm not advocating people leave their families. I'm not advocating people leave their livelihoods. I am advocating that people start following him in a way that makes sense. So if somebody's listening to this and says, you know what? Yeah, Jennifer's bringing up a lot of good points. I want to devote the rest of my life to Christ, and I want to work for him with all my heart as opposed to human masters. What would you say is is, is a good first step or two if somebody wants to, to start this journey by you know living for him as opposed to this world? You know, newsflash, this world is changing, and we have had the benefit of maybe being in our comfort zones, but growth isn't comfortable no matter where you are and what you do. So being a comfortable Christian is, is the red flag that says, I'm not doing what I'm called to do. I would say, make sure you're surrounded, get people who are like-minded around you. Very important because they are your advisory and your sounding board, your advisory team and your sounding board. You really need that because sometimes it's really hard. I mean, we are broken and we need, we need to talk with each other and empower each other, edify each other. It's really important and stay in the word, read your scriptures. Don't listen to other people, but get in the word that is so important to do for yourself. Don't, you know, make sure Colossians 3.23 is what we just read <laughs> and just don't take people's word, get in the word for yourself prayerfully and openly. Just listen to his voice in this crazy world. We need to just silence ourselves and listen and have that accountability advisory board sounding room for people who are like-minded. Well, I think that's great advice from a, a great person. And, and one of the things that I would say just to kind of end this conversation on where we started, we all need some accountability. And in, in this world, it can be really hard to find that group of Christians to hold you accountable. One, some people are told, well, I can't share my Christianity openly. And number two, you know, just based on the connections that we have, we might not have some of those people that have walked in our shoes or some of those people that uh, know what we're going through in life. This is exactly why C-Suite for Christ exists. I mean, this is your group of spiritual accountability partners. This is a group of busted, broken, horrible, disgusting sinners, just like everybody else who screws up every single day but gets up and tries again. And and just think, again, if, if this was only 15 minutes or so with Jennifer, but we've got thousands of people just like Jennifer in this ministry, people to encourage you, people to pray for you, people to help guide you along the way. And it would be an absolute blessing to have you look at us a little bit further. Speaking of blessing, Jennifer Schilke, CEO and co-founder of Summit Group Solutions. It was an absolute blessing to have you on the program today and uh, really appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom with us. Likewise, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Don't go away, gang. We're going to be back with some closing remarks in just a few seconds. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, boy, howdy, just want to say thank you to my sister in Christ, Jennifer Schilke, the CEO of Summit Group Solutions. What a blessing. Just, just a great outlook on life, on fire for the Lord, and talk about somebody who's boldly and unapologetically taking Christ into the workplace, smashing that imaginary wall that exists between your faith and your business life. We've got a lot of people just like her in C-Suite for Christ, but boy, she's something special and 
really thank her for being on the program. 60 seconds. What did we talk about today? Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is going to make your life easy in a lot of different fronts. One, if you're a people pleaser, boy, that can just suck all the fun out of life. That can just suck all the life out of you. We're not meant to please people. We're not meant to serve people like there are masters Instead of worrying about pleasing all these different people and all these different stakeholders in your life, the only person you need to please, the only entity you need to please is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That means if your spouse is keeping you from Jesus Christ, you got to move on. This means if your organization, your place of employment is keeping you from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you got to move on. Oh, what if I don't find another spouse? Oh, what if I don't, you know. What if I can't find a really good, another good job like this? Well, then where's your faith? I'm not necessarily advocating for divorce. I'm not advocating necessarily for, you know, being a job hopper. But if these things are keeping you, keeping you from living the life that Christ wants you to live, you got to seriously address those things. So that's number one. You're playing for an audience of one, which is Jesus Christ. But then number two this is just going to lead to a higher quality life because I want you to keep in mind everything you're doing from giving a big speech to 400 people to cleaning the guinea pig cage to putting together a bike for your kids to working on an RFP at the office. All of these things are equal in the eyes of God. There's not one more important task or one more inferior task. Because again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Make that guinea pig cage spotless. Clean up every piece of dog poo on the sidewalk. Give yourself the opportunity to, to do a really good 45-minute speech because he is the one we're trying to please, not human Masters, I'll tell you, though, your participation in today's podcast, that was very pleasing to me. The other thing that would please me greatly is if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to the C-Suite for Christ podcast. That way you always get an update every time a new episode is released. Again, we got this little thing called the Great Commission. We need to bring Christ into the world. We need to share Jesus Christ with as many people as possible. One way to honor the Great Commission would be to share this podcast with a couple of people. That would be pleasing to us as a ministry as well. If you'd like to learn more about membership in C-Suite for Christ, to join the ranks of somebody like a Jennifer Schilke, go to our website to learn more, csuiteforchrist.com. Com. I'm Paul M. Newberger. Thank you so much for joining us here today, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here I will keep you in my dreams when I leave here I won't forget you, no, 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 no I won't forget you You're like one of a kind And my eyes light up when I think about you I won't forget you Life goes on and on and on